Should abortion and Roe v. Wade be a litmus test for a president appointing judges to the federal bench? What is the biblical view of abortion? And what does the Bible say about other issues facing our culture, our churches, and our families? Today is your chance to ask a theologian anything. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's today's host, Mark Overstreet. Well, good afternoon. This is Mark Overstreet standing in for Jerry Johnson. And it's Jerry Johnson Live. Five o'clock is the hour. You may be on the way home. You may be wrapping a day up at the office. Today is Ask a Theologian Anything Day on Jerry Johnson Live. And I am in uh, the studio joined with Professor of New Testament and Greek, Dr. Denny Burke, a uh, frequent guest host on Jerry Johnson Live. Welcome to the studio, Jerry. Uh, Denny. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jerry. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, uh, today, uh, folks, as you're uh, driving home and you're thinking about uh, what the day has brought and what tomorrow will bring, uh, maybe you've got a question you want to ask. Ask a Theologian Anything uh, Day is a day where you can talk Bible, theology, politics, culture, how all of that is impacted. This uh, radio show is a worldview radio show, and we are here to answer your questions. Uh, Denny's in the studio. I'm in the studio. We're going to get everything started. Uh, As you're thinking about questions, finding your cell phone, calling 800-881-9270. That's 800-881-9270. Ask a theologian anything day. Uh, We're going to go straight to Denny. He's going to give us an update. Rudy Giuliani, uh, all of you uh, will remember Rudy, mayor of New York City, uh, 9-11, terrorist attacks. He comes in as a a Republican candidate uh, for the next presidential election. He's back in the news again. Denny, tell us about this. Well, everybody knows who Giuliani is, obviously, because of 9-11. He was mayor of New York at the time, very popular as a result of his leadership during that period. Now he's running for Republican president. Most people know, though, he's kind of controversial as a a Republican candidate because he is uh, pro-choice. And uh, there was a headline today that really caught my eye. I thought our listeners might be interested in. It was in the Associated Press, uh, and it was a big headline. It just said this. It said, Giuliani says abortion is not a litmus test for judges. And the quotation from Giuliani in the article says this, Abortion is not a litmus test. Roe v. Wade is not a litmus test. No particular case is a litmus test. Mm. That's not the way to appoint Supreme Court justices or any judge. 
And you listen to that and you think, well, golly, so he's pro-choice, but he's saying that, you know, this is not a litmus test. You know, this is a bad thing. What does this mean? I think a lot of people don't realize that was precisely the view that George W. Bush took in 2000, is that uh, a a judge's position on Roe v. Wade would not be a litmus test for appointment. And uh, and all they're saying is is that they're going to appoint strict constructionist judges. However, I still think in Giuliani's case, even as much as you like George Bush's view, and that's, you know, in effect identical to his view from 2000, uh, I still think there's a lot of reason to have doubts about Giuliani because he is pro-choice and because I think that's going to filter down into the way that he thinks about everything. And we have a, a few uh, call, uh, callers on the line, and uh, we'll discuss this a little bit more in just a second. So why don't we go ahead to those callers? I think that's fantastic. So we're, we're going to be looking, uh, Denny, with uh, respect to Giuliani's positions on abortion, on funding, on uh, choice and privacy issues, repealing Roe versus Wade, all of these issues, just as soon as we get uh, some questions from our callers. Uh, David in Dallas, uh, you're on the line. Jerry Johnson Live, welcome to the show. I want to ask Dr. Burke if you would interpret Colossians 2.8 and, and specifically uh, the English word uh, uh, basic principles and what he means. And I'll get off the air and, and, and listen to his answer. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, David. Colossians 2, chapter 8. Colossians 2.8. Uh, Denny, can you go ahead and give us an interpretation of that? Well, unfortunately, I don't have it committed to memory, which means I'm opening up my Bible to it as we speak. Let me read that to our listeners <laughs> as you're driving home. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Denny, what does that mean for us today as believers? Yeah, well, the I think he was talking about ele- elementary principles of the world, and that's actually a disputed phrase, which I think he was... Um, uh, was probably uh, what he was uh, the reason why he was asking is because it's disputed. Um, is he talking about? Um, well, I think the basic thrust of the passage is pretty clear. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me—I uh, don't have my page open here yet. That's Colossians chapter two and In verse, verse eight. eight. Yeah. Um. There we go. Yeah. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men. According to the elementary principles of the world, and the Greek word is stoikeia to kosmu, the elementary principle, it's translated elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ, for in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Basically, the, the thrust of what's happening here is, is that there are uh, assaults coming against these Christians who are in Colossae, and uh, there were uh, false teachings that were out there that were leading people away from Christ, and he, he lists them out as... Um, philosophy mm-hmm, and empty mm-hmm. deception, but basically all, any kind of knowledge that sets itself against the knowledge of Christ contained in the gospel. And so philosophy can do that. Just straight up deceit from false teachers can do that. Elementary principles of the world. That's right. Any kind of a thing that's opposed to um, Christ as he's presented in the gospel is to be opposed. And I think also one of the things that we need to point out for our listeners is is that principles of the world here is set in contrast to the principles according to Christ. And uh, so the principles of the world that conform with that, uh, conform with truth, conform with the image of Christ, then uh, we need to be fine with that. That's a great question, uh, David. Thanks a lot for your call. We're going to go next uh, to Wiley. Ryan, we've got you on Jerry Johnson Live. Welcome to the show. Give us your question. 
Well, I've got a, a statement and then a question, too. Robert Howard Brown is in Rollett, Texas this week, uh, and then his website's claiming like 7,000 people saved, something like that, this week, and 10,000 last week in Carrollton. And I'm just, I'm really struggling with that because I don't put much weight in the Pentecostal movement, but my neighbors are Pentecostal at the same time. And so I want to be able to have some scriptural, uh, scriptural background to be able to talk to him about it that's not, you know, too harsh or... Yeah. Does that make any sense? Sure, absolutely, Ryan. I think just to sum the question, it sounds like, Danny, what he's looking for uh, is he hears reports uh, that are coming from another part of the state where he's geographically removed. He's talking about mass evangelism where they're reporting tens of thousands of people uh, that have made a profession of faith in Christ. Can you talk to us about how we can level uh, some reason uh, how how we can think about the movement of God and how he brings uh, the gospel to bear on listeners' lives. Listeners, if you're uh, uh, wanting to get in on the discussion, you can call us 800-881-9270. Denny, what is uh, an answer to Ryan's question? He wants to talk to his neighbor about how to address these mass number issues. Well, I'm, I was kind of curious. To, I would have followed up with one other thing with him. I didn't know if his problem was the Pentecostalism or if his problem was the fact that there are reports of mass conversions. Um, I would I would say this: um, Pentecostals aren't the only ones who have crusades and give out reports of mass conversions. And if if um, if if that's the pro, you know if that's what his problem was, you have to say that's not located just with you know the, uh, the Pentecostal. Group. That's right. Whatever uh, you know, disagreements you may have with the with the, with the Pentecostals, but I, you know you do have you know the, to me I do have a concern with um, reports um, that are mass like that because especially when you you hear them so often and there doesn't seem to be any kind of a, a change in mm-hmm. certain communities where you hear these reports from, and just because uh, well, very simply in the in the scriptures when people embrace and believe the gospel. Holy Spirit power takes over in that in those people that are converted and changes them, and they in effect change their community. So ten thousand people is something that would be felt, and um, so you know, whenever I hear reports like that, I'm always like, "Well, praise the Lord, the gospel's preached when it's preached, and um, praise the Lord for all the people that were saved." Um, but we'll see. <laughs> What happens? That's right. That's right. We'll see what are the fruits of the movement. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits. That's right. And I think uh, one of the things that Ryan was trying to get at at the core of is how do you address this with a neighbor? And I think, Ryan, the wisdom is you want to move uh, gently. And uh, I think you want to re- reference Scripture. You want to look at Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you want to see that when the apostles preached, the power of God did fall, and people repented of their sins, and they turned to Christ as their only satisfaction for their sins, their sins that they had committed. They gave themselves entirely to them. The church, uh, the Bible uh, says through the writings of Luke, uh, in the book of Acts, that thousands were added to them daily. These are things that happened, and these are things that, Denny, uh, you'll agree, I know, that can happen today. That's exactly right. Uh, and so what we want to do as churchmen, as Christians, followers of Christ, is to ensure that if that is in fact happening, that we have a process of discipleship taking place, follow-up. In uh, if, if it's an itinerant evangelist, he needs to be working through local churches in that area so that they can be doing the work of the ministry because they are infants. And Jesus has parable after parable of teaching about how uh, those uh, who appear to have been born 
who appear to be growing uh, sometimes can be snatched away or, or burned away. Parable of the soils. That's, the soils. Exa- that's exactly right. Well, that's a fantastic question, Ryan. Thanks for calling in. Uh, next, we're going to be going to uh, Joel in Dallas. Joel, you're on the line with Jerry Johnson Live. Give us your question. Good afternoon. Uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you. Um, second, um, I had a question regarding the Old Testament. I, um, I wanted to ask, how do we apply the Old Testament teachings to our lives in the new, in the new century? And I hear a lot of people saying that, when Jesus died for us that on the cross, um, he voided the law, and we became saved by grace. But what does that mean about the Old Testament? Can you explain that to me? Yes. Uh, do you have a particular text in mind when you're asking that question, Joel? Well, I'm not, I don't have my Bible with me, but, um, for example, in the Old Testament, you, you can read where it says something about, you know, when... Your um, when someone sins against you, you know you can you know throw rocks at them or something like that. You know, some, I don't want to take it out of context, but um, you know, there's certain um, certain I, I can't explain certain certain areas in in the Old Testament where um, things would be not appropriate nowadays. Yeah, that's right, Joel. I think you've got a great question that you've laid out for us. Let me just very briefly say that the God who revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God is God. He is the God of the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament. He is the one who reveals himself from the from the beginning of days in Genesis chapter 1 all the way to the end of days when he will consummate the ages. His word is the word of God. It's the 66 books that we have before us that I hold in my hands right now. Uh, I do think that there are teachings. People are going to ask questions. Historically, we've asked questions about uh, the ethnic teachings or the religious or cultic expressions of those teachings as revealed in the Old Testament, maybe through the law given to Moses in Exodus and Leviticus. We have blood laws that are very strange to our ears today, but we need to remember that God reveals himself progressively. And Christians, if you're listening, uh, that's a great word. Progressive revelation means that God begins at Genesis 1-1 and reveals himself. In, in the New Testament, Paul teaches that this revelation culminates in the person of Jesus Christ and that every scripture of the Old Testament points toward the New Testament and the fulfillment of every scripture, prophetic or otherwise, in Jesus Christ. Uh, I think that as we look to the Old Testament, we must find the way that it reports back to Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, as the Son of God, as God himself. Listeners, if you're um, out there and you're wanting to know, it's Ask a Theologian Anything Day. I've got Denny Burke in the studio. This is Mark Overstreet standing in for Jerry Johnson Live. Call us, 800-881-9270. We'll join you just after the break. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. 
Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture in the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Mark Overstreet. All right, this is Mark Overstreet standing in for Jerry Johnson. Today on Jerry Johnson Live, I've got Dr. Denny Burke in the studios with me. Denny Burke is professor of New Testament and Greek. Denny, uh, we've had some uh, callers waiting through the break. I want to go straight to him. Jesse from Fort Worth. Jesse, you've got a question about salvation today. Uh, yes, sir. I mean, um, you know, I listen to uh, you know several preachers, you know, whatever. Uh, of course, everybody knows John MacArthur, you know. Yes. And, uh, you know, I listen to him on occasion, you know, and uh, he is pretty, uh, I mean, he, he's a great guy. I respect the man and everything, and he's a great uh uh, expository preacher and what have you, you know. Yes. But, uh, I forget the series, but he uh, he seems to be a uh, seems to give the impression there's a dichotomy, you know, as far as salvation is concerned, with uh, quote unquote easy believism, you know. Yes. Even though the Bible advocates, I mean, uh, you know, that uh, salvation is but a prayer away, you know, and uh, and you know, and uh, no legalism involved, just just outright, mind you, you know. Yeah, uh, Jesse uh, John MacArthur is a He's written a lot about this, actually. You've heard him preach about it. He's a proponent of what some people call lordship salvation. And uh, he does say that there is such a thing as false conversion as opposed to a true kind of a conversion, a false salvation as opposed to a true kind of a salvation. John MacArthur's point is simply this, is that if the faith that saved you didn't change you, then it didn't save you. And the notion that is very prevalent today in our land and really relates to one of our previous calls, this notion that you can just sort of uh, quote a prayer, a sinner's prayer, or um, just sort of have sort of a superficial allegiance to Jesus, uh, maybe just a, a confession of faith but not the reality of faith, that idea is nowhere in the Bible. And if the faith that saved you didn't change you, um, it didn't really save you. That's that's his point. So um, salvation is something that transforms the person. It doesn't leave them the way that they were. And as a matter of fact, if you think of, um, you know, Jesus, as a matter of fact, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What Jesus is saying there is, is not that you work your way into salvation, but he's saying that the evidence that you are truly a disciple of Christ, that the faith you confess, confess is real, the evidence of that is that you'll be doing the will of God in your life. You'll be living according to his word. If all you have is a profession of faith and you don't have the reality of faith in a transformed life, your profession is false. Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. the biblical teaching, and that's the point that MacArthur makes so consistently and eloquently when he expounds the Scripture. That's right. And he, what, he's, what he's trying to fight against, Denny, I think it's important for our listeners to hear, is not that it is easy for a man, because Jesus himself said it's, it's, it's not easy, because turning away from the desires of the flesh and toward Christ means giving up everything 
all for the sake of Christ, repenting of a former lifestyle, turning toward him in faith, but that it's also it's rejecting the, the what you have called easy believism, uh, but this uh, n- sort of a name it and claim it, that uh, somehow we are superstitiously just repeating a quote from someone, and uh, we, we just don't need to be doing that. Jesse, that's a great question. We're going uh, over to Roanoke. We're going to find Joe in Roanoke. Joe, you've got a question about the Pope. Uh, yes, I've, and I've just caught snippets of this on, on the news, and I just wanted another perspective. I've I heard the, this document that the Pope had signed, and uh, basically stating that a, a church does not recognize the Pope is really not a legitimate church. And I just wanted another perspective on it. If you could share what you know uh, about this particular document, and, and uh, hope, hopefully you understand what I'm referencing. Yeah, I do. I think I've got uh, I've got you. Yeah, what you're know. doing is referencing last week's uh, comments by the current pope of the Roman Catholic Church speaking. Yeah, uh, it was a it was a set of questions and answers I believe that he released. And actually, um, uh, there's you can access those on the internet. And really, it was uh, more of a clarification of uh, an interpretation of the I believe Vatican II, which was the Church Council in 1961. I've got the year wrong, <laughs> but anyway, um, it, it was a clarification on what their their belief was about the church, what the Catholic Church's belief is about the church since Vatican II, which is widely perceived as um, a a sort of a a progressive step in Catholicism. It's been applied and interpreted that way to where, um, you know, under the last pope, people saw Roman Catholicism as more embracing and as more inclusive of other people from other denominations in terms of whether or not they were authentically Christian, whether or not their churches were authentic Christian churches. And the new pope, Benedict, has come to the—he's interpreting Vatican II to say, well, really the only authentic church is the Roman Catholic Church, and there is um, sort of a secondary status to the Eastern Orthodox Church, and all of the Protestant churches and uh, the non-affiliate—the ones that aren't Roman Catholic, aren't Eastern Orthodox— are the ones that are orthodox are can only be called something like ecclesial communities. They're not connected to the real church because the Roman Catholics believe that the real church is um, comes down through the ages through what they call apostolic succession. And so the the Roman Catholic Pope is Pope by virtue of receiving uh, apostleship. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. passed on all mm-hmm. the way they claim all the way back from First Peter. Um, excuse me, from Peter the apostle that uh, his apostleship is passed on through succession, through the succession of popes. And it's only through the church that's headed by that pope that the sacraments that they believe are working righteousness into your life, they're actually salvific when you take them, they believe that they're the only church that has that, the the efficacious or the sacraments that work. And so the the pope was clarifying the position that... um, uh, that that's what they uh, that's what the Roman Catholic Church holds to. That's right. And that ni- 1962 was the date of Vatican II. Oh, there we go. And uh, Ratzinger, then Father Joseph Ratzinger, now uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, is uh, is merely just for our listeners out there to break it all down and boil it for you. It is uh, he, what he's doing is going back, and he's what he's trying to do is help people understand that the historic position of the Roman Catholic Church is that if you are a Protestant, you have an illegitimate 
view of the gospel and of the church and ultimately cannot have salvation if you're outside of that church because you have separated yourself from the way that God wants his church run, which is, in the Roman Catholic view, the view of the Pope. Uh, This is a very controversial thing that he said. The reason it's controversial is because we live in an age when people don't want to have convictions, and they don't want to argue about what their view of truth is. What we're doing on this radio program is talking about worldview Christianity and how we can bring the Bible to bear. If you're listening and you want to ask a theologian anything, you can do that today by calling me at 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. We've got another call. Kim, you're coming in uh, from Little Elm. Kim, you've got a question. Kim, are you there? All right, Kim. Kim is gone from uh, our line. We have, uh, Denny, it looks like we've got a, a break here while they're uh, screening. We've got a handful of calls uh, that are in the queue, well, Mark, but if uh, I could, we don't have them yet. Go yeah, ahead. If I could just follow up, though, on the, on the Roman Catholic thing, um, th- there are numerous resources on the Internet about this right now. And I tell you, a guy who wrote a great commentary on this last week, a Southern Baptist uh, seminary president, Albert Moeller, and if you visit his website, albertmoeller.com, he wrote a great article on the, the Pope's statement about the status of other churches. It was called No, I'm Not Offended. It's at albertmoeller.com. So if our listeners want to get a good resource on the Pope's statement, uh, probably explain it clearer than I just did, um, go read that, No, I'm Not uh, Offended, by Albert Moeller at albertmoeller.com. And I think really, Denny, uh, what uh, Moeller in uh, in this segment uh, tries to clarify is, is that in in saying, no, I'm not offended, by that he means, look, it's at least refreshing that we've got someone who is the head of the Roman Catholic Church who's saying, this has been our position, and I'm re-clarifying it for you just so you understand that if you're not a part of the Roman Catholic Church, you are outside of Christ, and he is saying, no, I'm just glad that someone finally has a conviction that they're willing to stand by. I think that's yeah, I good. Think, I think more, I'm not sure how, I have to go back and, we'll have to go and read the statement if we could get the words up. I think what he's saying, though, when that the Roman Catholic Church the only authentic church and that the other um, supposed churches, Protestant churches, are ecclesial communities. I think what he's saying is that they're not, they don't have uh, access to the means by which God is appointed, that is the sacraments, for them to be saved, which is a progressive idea in Roman Catholicism. And um, it's because that comes through the only authentic church, the apostolic succession of the Pope. So you've got to be in the Roman Catholic Church. But the, the good, what Albert Muller was saying was, that uh, he's not offended because he's just glad for clarity. That's right. And when it comes to uh, people understanding uh, what different churches teach, it's better to have clarity instead of for someone to be so muddled in their presentation of, of their church's teachings. Which John that nobody Paul understands. was. Yeah. yeah, which is that nobody understands. So um, he appreciates the clarity, and, and so do we. There are real live distinctions uh, between Protestants and Catholics. That's a good word. Well, uh Listeners, if you're listening, uh, you can call in, ask a theologian anything day, 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. We've got a question from a caller coming in from Fort Worth. Jay, you're on the line with Jerry Johnson Live. What's your question? Yeah, I was curious, that verse that talks about a woman is saved through childbearing, how do you uh, take that verse to mean? Yeah, you're talking about First uh, Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, I believe. No, 15. 
I believe okay. is the verse you're looking at. And uh, why don't I just read that so that our listeners can hear it? And I think Mark wanted to speak to this, but let me read it and then I'll let him do it. Um, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell in the transgression. But women shall be saved or preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with selfish restraint. I hear the music, which means we're going to have to take this up after the break. Mark? I think that's exactly right. Uh, we'll take this question after after the break. Jay, thanks for your question. And listeners, if you're out there and you want to ask a theologian, today's your day. You've got Dr. Denny Burke in the office uh, studios with us, and I'm Mark Overstreet standing in on Jerry Johnson Live. Call us, 800-881-9270. It's been a great day. We've got two segments left to go, so call now so we can get your question in. 800-881-9270. We'll see you back on the other side of the break. Listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Mark Overstreet. All right, we're back on the air. Uh, we're taking Ask a Theologian Anything Day, and we're taking it to a new level. 800-881-9270. I've got Dr. Denny Burke, professor of New Testament and Greek, in the studios with us this afternoon. We had a question just before the break, Denny, from First. Uh, I'm sorry, First Timothy two and fifteen. And I'm just going to read this from the New American Standard Version, and then I want you to give, us, give it to us in Greek. But the woman will be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. What does this mean? Jay asked the question. Denny, I'm going to throw that to you real quick. Yeah, you, most evangelicals have a problem with this because it makes it sound like that a woman has to have children in order to be saved, in order for you know, be saved by Christ. Yes. And, um, and so that, that has a, you know, that's a problem to most even evangelicals because it doesn't seem to square with what the rest of the scripture says. Break it down for us. Yeah. Well, the rest, the word there is the word that's used often in reference to salvation, but that's not the only thing that that word can refer to. Some people think that it doesn't mean saved in the sense of, um, salvation, but saved in the sense of kept physically safe through childbearing. Other people think that it means, um, they're going to be saved through um, the circumstance of childbearing or preserved through the circumstance of childbearing so that women, when they're working out their salvation, a part of that is going to be the trial of childbearing, which ever since, ever since the curse has been a trial. Yeah, in and Genesis chapter, you're, you're referencing Genesis chapter 3, when God laid the curse at Eve's feet and says, you will bear children in pain because of your... That's tim- right. And that's uh, for Paul's First Timothy chapter 2 and 14 talks about the woman being deceived, falling into sin. That's right. And of course, that first woman in chapter 14 is a reference to Eve. And so other people think that actually this, uh, this text is referring to Eve and because it's singular. And it, literally it reads, but she shall be saved through childbirth referring to the woman from verse 14, which was Eve. And if you'll remember, in the Old Testament, um, Eve, after the curse was given, God gave what we call the proto-evangelium. Yeah, that the, woman, the early gospel. The early gospel, yeah, and which said that the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. It's a reference to a prophecy of Jesus. And so some people think that this text is referring to Eve's ultimate son, Jesus, and that he would save her. Um, that's a 
old interpretation, not necessarily mine, but there's an, any number of ways that you can interpret this that it does not mean that you're actually saved by childbearing apart right. from Christ or apart from faith. That's right. And one of, one of the things that I want to point out to listeners, I do believe that this uh, first, first Timothy 2.15 is teaching that salvation is a product of turning toward Christ, turning toward all of the things that he defines as what is right. And if you'll remember, back in Genesis 1 and 2, you have these issues where God has given the edict to Adam and Eve, these first humans, to be fruitful and to multiply. And having children is a part, is a product of fulfilling God's commands. Now, here in 1 Timothy 2, He's giving us an exhortation. He's giving men an exhortation, and then he's giving women an exhortation that we need to be faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint moving toward what God has called us to be, which is fulfillers of his promise. And one of those promises is be fruitful and multiply. So uh, we've got callers all over the place. Call us, 800-881-9270, if you want to get in on this. Ask a theologian anything day. Denny Burke, Mark Overstreet in, in the studios. We've got callers everywhere. Samantha in Argyle. Uh, we'll take you in just a second. We've got uh, Bill calling from Aubrey. Go ahead, Bill. You've got a question. Yeah, a uh, question or a statement earlier was about uh, you would know them by their fruits. And without going into a lot of background, but, you know, I try to follow the Lord's lead on everything I do. But I don't know that I could point to three salvations last week or uh, a healed, you know, wound on their arm or something. So I've always, I just don't know exactly about that, if you could expand on that. I'm not sure if it's like some sow and some till and then some harvest later. I just don't know how to... Uh, Bill, Bill, this is Denny talking. I think I've... We can answer this for you. Great. I think you're defining fruit. Are you still there, Bill? Yes, sir. Okay. I think you're defining fruit as uh, narrowly as um, uh, converts, right? The results of your evangelism and converts. I, I didn't know. I was just going by you was, uh, a statement earlier about you would know them by their fruit. Yeah, that what? was that was from Matthew chapter uh, seven, yeah, so where Jesus says, think, "What are my fruits?" <laughs> yeah, well, there it may be talking, and actually, Matthew chapter seven, there it probably is in reference to false teachers and and the effects of their teaching, which would be what kind of people turn to that. But you have to understand the the scripture. That's not the only way that it talks about fruit or the way that salvation impacts your life. As a matter of fact, Paul said in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, there, there are these character traits. So when you're a Christian, the Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you, and that Spirit begins to have an effect on you, on your character. It's not merely that you have you know scalps that you can attach to your belt and all the people you can count up that... Um, were converted as a result of your witness. It's talking about your fruitfulness in terms of your changed life, that you're becoming more and more Christ-like. You're becoming more and more loving, That's more right. and more self-control. That's right. Good, kind, all those things that Paul lists there. That's right. So it's a transformation of life that results because the Spirit comes. It's not a narrow reference to um, how many people get saved as a result of your That's your right. Jesus' words in Matthew 7 here specifically, he identifies what the converse of good fruits is, and it's lawlessness. So he's saying, look, if you follow me, it's not just about calling out, Lord, Lord, but it's, ca- it's, it's calling out, Lord, Lord, and then following that up by following me and my teaching. So that's a great question, Bill. Appreciate that. Uh, now we're going to go to Samantha. Samantha, you're in Argyle. You're on Jerry Johnson Live. What's your question? 
my question is, um, my mother and I both watch John Hagee a lot, and this is something that I guess the two of us kind of see ourselves on different points, but um, it's one saved, always saved. I was saved when I was seven, and then when I was in college, I got stupid and basically did whatever I wanted to, and since then, you know, I'm 35 now, I've come back to my faith and everything, and Mother occasionally makes comments about how I'm not going to lose heaven over this, you know, something that's happened in her life or she's upset about something, and she'll say, I'm not going to lose heaven over this. And I've always felt like, you know, if you have had that character-changing salvation, you know, like I I did at seven, even though I backslid in college, that, you know, my name is in the book of life, and that means that it will be there, you know, through eternity. And I, I guess my question is, you know, how how do you mess that up as far as that whole once saved always saved you know how do you how do you mess that up well it's you, probably i would want to fill it out just a little bit more than what you've said once saved always saved is one side of a of a coin um the the other side of the coin is the fact that the holy spirit is preserving his people in faith so there's perseverance on the one hand and which is a result of the Holy Spirit changing us and sustaining us in grace. And then there's once saved, always saved on the other hand. Once saved, always saved just means that the Holy Spirit that's perse- that's holding us and keeping us in the faith is never going to let go of us. Jesus said, you remember, I give them eternal, I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Um, once saved, always saved is, is a truth. And perseverance of the saints is a truth. I think the question people have is, well, how do you apply that to life when somebody falls away from the faith or Mm -hmm, apparently mm -hmm. backslides or something like that? Um, The the, the issue is this. Um, The issue is, is are you following Christ now? Um, do you trust Christ now? Some Today. Be- yeah. yeah, a biblical word, Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4, is if you do this today, right, Denny? Yeah, and so a lot of people think, well, I said a prayer when I was 7 or 9, or I was really young, and then I never really walked with Christ, but then somewhere along the line I really started walking with Christ. Um, you know, it may have been that you were saved when you were 7. It may have been that you were saved later. Um, but whenever it was that the Holy Spirit came into your heart and changed you, that's when you were saved. But my my view is is that Christians um, are not sinless people or perfect people. They can sin. They can backslide. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not that the Christian is sinless and doesn't struggle with sin. The difference is is that the Christian struggles with sin. <laughs> and the Christian repents of sin. Even if they go and backslide, eventually the Holy Spirit that's holding them and sustaining them draws them back. So, you know, it's not surprising you'd hear of a a Christian who walked away for a while, got miserable in it, and came back. That's right. That's what happens to Christians when they sin and grieve the Spirit. That's right. And I think uh, one one word of exhortation from Scripture, uh, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 3, 6 says, But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if... We hold fast our confidence and the boast of all of our hope firm until the end. And so, Denny, I think that Samantha's call is good for our listeners to hear that if you're thinking back in your past and you're thinking, well, when I was five or when I was seven or when I was 14 or or three weeks ago— 
the Scripture today speaks with us and says, look, if Christ is the Son over his house and we are a part of that house, then we need to hold fast our confidence not in ourselves, not in our good works, but we need to find our boasting and our hope in him, in his sacrifice, in his ability to take away our sins and take away the wrath of God and give us his righteousness. Callers, you're listening. This is Ask a Theologian Anything Day. I've got Denny Burke in the studios with us. I'm Mark Overstreet. Call us, 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. We've got time for a quick call. Uh, we're going to go to uh, Dallas. We've got David. David, you've got a quick question. We've got less than a minute on eschatology. Great. Um, first of all, it's a great job you guys are doing. Wonderful today. Uh, end times. Um, thoroughly confused when I hear people like Hagee. Uh, he was at the White House or in Congress the other day. Um, I guess you probably yes. share his dispensational view. I, yeah. I'm utterly confused by dispensationalism. It makes very little sense to me. Um, he's talking about having to build a, ultimately have a build a new temple in, in Israel. I, Jesus Christ is the temple. That's when I read the Bible. That's what I get, and I'm I'm I'm. I'm struggling to understand how a, perhaps, say, an unsaved Jew is any different from an unsaved Muslim. Fantastic, David. Thanks a lot. We're about to go to a hard break. That's a great question on eschatology. You've mentioned the White House. You've mentioned Washington, D.C. We'll come back in just a minute and answer that question for you. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture in the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Mark Overstreet. All right. We are back. This is Mark Overstreet in the studios with Dr. Denny Burke, professor of New Testament and Greek at Criswell College. Uh, we are coming into our final segment, and we've got time uh, for uh, just another caller. Before we go to that caller, uh, we're going to answer David's question. David had a question about eschatology. He listened to someone on uh, television. His name's John Hagee, a uh, pastor down in San Antonio. And his question, Denny, I think uh, if I could just frame it for our listeners, he's uh, confused about the end times and about some of the teachings that you hear out there about how Jews are different uh, than uh, let's just say uh, the Buddhist or or the Muslim. That's and right. David mentioned the the unsaved Jew and the unsaved Muslim. He says, "Look, when I read my Bible, I see followers of Jesus, and I see people who don't follow Jesus. And when we read the Book of Revelation at the end of the book, I see people who follow Jesus and people who don't as a final sector. Can you bring us into that, Denny? Well, yeah. And as a matter of fact, David used the word dispensationalism, which is a, a, a way of uh, interpreting the Bible and a whole system of theology, which um, this is vastly oversimplified. But one of the main tenets of dispensationalism is, is that God has 
a plan for the nation of Israel, ethnic Jews in the future, which includes a mass conversion of the Jews, which includes them reigning on earth in a millennium with Jesus. And so there's a special place for the Jews where God fulfills his promises from the Old Testament to them in, uh, in the future. And that's um, all coming right out of the scripture where the dispensationalists are making their case for this. And so there's a special place for the Jew in the theology known as dispensationalism. Um, unfortunately, sometimes you'll hear people, um, based on that, treat um, unsaved Jews, Jews who are not converted to Christ, as if um, they're a special class in a different sense, as if um, perhaps being cut off from Christ isn't much of, as much of a curse for them as it is for other kinds of people, which is just not the case. Um, at the very end, just like you pointed out, Mark, I couldn't have said it any better, there's two groups of people, those who are connected to Christ and those who aren't. Those who were, um, who came to faith and believed in Jesus and those who did not. Those whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life and those who were not. And the final destination is the lake of fire and the new heavens and the new earth. And um, there's not going to be a distinction between Jew and Gentile in the kingdom to come in the final uh, eternal state. Uh, we will all be there as believers in Christ. And to treat uh, Jews as if they were in less need of evangelism, uh, unsaved Jews, that is, uh, in less need of evangelism than anybody else is just incorrect. That's you right. may hear that from people from time to time, and it's just wrong. That's right. That's exactly right. And Denny, right here at Criswell College, we've got the Passion Institute of uh, Jewish Studies, uh, where we have Dr. Jim Sibley, who's a professor here and uh, was a missionary uh, to the Jewish people and uh, to the folks in Israel for more than a decade. I think he was there for almost 15 years ministering to those people, sharing the love of Christ and the story of Christ uh, Jesus, who came in to become the Messiah, the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament, that he, that all of Revelation culminates in him, so that when we read Revelation chapter 5, when John, the apostle, begins to weep and says there was no one that was found to be worthy to open the book, Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, stands the root of David, of, of Judaism, the, the son of David, the king. He says he has overcome so that he is worthy to open the seals and the book. So uh, it's very exciting. And, uh, Denny, thanks for answering that question for us. We've got uh, one last caller we've got time to go to. Chelsea, uh, you're on the line with Jerry Johnson Live. What's your question? Um, I was curious about um, John. In John chapter 20, verse 22, he says, And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And I was raised Catholic, and I have since converted to Protestant, but um, the Catholic Church uses that as justification for the requirement of reconciliation with the priest. Yes. And I was just curious on how you would interpret that verse and what Jesus means when he says that. Well, I think that uh, you've brought a couple of things into the picture. First of all, Chelsea, thanks for your uh, question, because this is very important. And I think as we begin to look at where uh, Jesus is, where John is moving in his gospel, John chapter 20, uh, you look there at the beginning of that paragraph, and he begins, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, 
peace be with you. So he's speaking, first of all, Denny, to the disciples, and he's saying to them, peace be with you. And verse 22 that Chelsea brought in, uh, receive the Holy Spirit. He said that to them after breathing upon them. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. I think at the very core of understanding this passage, Chelsea, is understanding that Jesus gave to his apostles something special, something powerful that comes directly out of his divine messianic ministry. And that ministry is the power of the gospel, the power to look into a cold, empty, dark, dead grave and call a man out and say, Lazarus, come forth. Now, last time I checked, there's not a pope in 2,000 years who has attempted to bring someone back from the dead. There are uh, stories of all kinds of people who call themselves apostles with these kind of miraculous works, but uh, I've, we've never seen one of those take place. Denny, can you address this some? Well, what she was asking about is is that she says that this was taught in the Catholic Church is that you have to go and confess to a priest. And the reason that this verse is relevant to that is because because he was speaking to the apostles. And like we said earlier, the Catholic Church teaches apostolic succession. That's right. And the apostles' authority is handed down, not from the Scriptures, uh, mediated to us like we believe in the Scriptures, but uh, mediated through a succession of popes going all the way all the way back to Peter. That's right, through men. That's exactly right. And so, which, um, if you hold the apostolic succession, that makes sense, but I don't think that the Scriptures teach that. I don't think it, uh, you can't find that in the Scriptures, and uh, I don't think you can even find it in history. There's no, there's no man today who has apostolic power, no man who can say to the lame, get up and walk. There's no man today who can verifiably say, uh, come forth, Lazarus. Or who that, has seen the risen Christ bodily, which that's was right. a, a, a qualification for an apostle. That's right. An apostle is somebody who has seen the risen Christ, somebody who walked with him, somebody who talked with him, who was taught by him. And frankly, Denny, I think you'll agree with this, that in that room, somebody who was in that room that night that received his breath when he said, peace be with you. So, Chelsea, great question. Thanks for uh, mentioning that. Folks, we want to... Uh, we want to back out of these questions and just remind you that next week when we come back, uh, Kirby Anderson and Barry Creamer are going to be hosting the program. Uh, we're going to have Kirby Anderson, uh, exciting host, uh, guest host for Jerry Johnson Live, and one of our own, Professor Barry Creamer. Dr. Creamer uh, has uh, taught here at Criswell College for a number of years. And uh, we are here. And before we go, uh, Denny, I think it's just important for our listeners to know that when we think about theology, when we ask a theologian anything, that the critical instrument that they must remember is that uh, when we talk about Revelation, whether we're moving from Genesis into the Old Testament to the New Testament where Jesus speaks or in the Gospels, that we have found Christ Jesus, who says, turn to me, all you are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Turn from your sins and believe in Christ. This is what he's called us to do as Christians. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.